Let's do this. So we are so for for this episode we're going to be we're going to be talking about Chief Master Sergeant Steve Swigonski. Now we hear about Chief Swigonski all the time obviously. I think uh, we hear from him at, at PAC, at PCC, well, every year, right? Because every year we've got the award, the Swigonski Award, given to the outstanding. It used to be for the outstanding junior paralegal from E1 to E6 as far as the award, but now I think is the NCO. So it's like the NCO Award. Um, and there are names for the other ones. Um, so did you hear Did you hear about Chief Swigonski when you were in uh, at PAC, Herman Gilbert? I did, um, just mainly because of the award that was named after him. Um, I think it's for it's for NCOs, right? I believe so, right? I believe so. NCOs. It used to be just, yeah, like I said, it used to be just um, junior paralegals from E1 to E6. And it was a very, it still is a very prestigious award um, in our in our Jack Corps. But we're here with uh, Airman First Class. Uh, Zachary Gilbert and he just recently graduated PAC and joined us at our office at Wyman Air Force Base so I don't think that he's yet signed off on paralegal history I'll have to check your training records I should know <laughs> um, but this uh, this will definitely uh, qualify I think it should qualify as that um, so we'll, what we're going to do is this is again, titled Paralegal History, and we're gonna go through it. Hopefully you can satisfy the paralegal history requirement. There is a section in the CDCs in volume one, uh, short, there's a short um, mentioning of our, of our paralegal history, um, when it all started, when we had a different AFSC, and, and things like that, if I remember correctly. But this, we're actually gonna go, so I found this document at KM, and it was an interview that was conducted uh, with Chief Suganski back in 1994. So this conducted uh, interview was conducted in uh, 17 October 1994. And it was in KM. And KM has a lot. I mean, if you're interested about just history, about previous SJAs and previous senior enlist, uh, uh, senior paralegal managers, there's a lot of information in there, a bunch of interviews with a lot of documents and a lot of great, great information. But this, it's going to be, because I think we can tell our paralegal history by just looking back at Chief Lugonski and his career and everything that he did. So all, all of this is going to be uh, great for the paralegal history. So, um, so we're just gonna go through that interview. But before we do, Airman Gilbert, you want to say a little bit about yourself? Yes, sir. I'm an uh, I'm an airman, airman from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, kind of fresh into this. I've only been stationed. This is my first base. Uh, I've only been here about two weeks or two two months. Sorry, and um, you know, just still learning the job. Uh, but you know, so far I'm having fun, learning a lot. From being around attorneys and uh, you know experienced paralegals, so I, I really enjoy it. Um, everyone I talk to, you know, 
a lot of people, they really want this job, the paralegal job. So it, it makes me take pride in the job that I do. So. Right. Good. And, you know, I, in doing this, there's one more thing that we're doing other than just paralegal and signing off um, on our training records. There's another part in our Airman's Creed that mentions, you know, having uh, pride, what it, it, you know, I, it's, I'm an American airman. I am a warrior. My mission is to fly, fight, and win. I am faithful to a proud heritage, a tradition of honor, and a legacy of valor. And we're definitely going to be talking about someone who left a tradition of, you know, for us, a tradition of honor and a legacy of valor. And we're going to look at different instances as to how that happened with Chief Swigonski. So let's get straight to it. Um, so he was... Um, born in 1928 and entered the Air Force and check this date you know, on February 20th, 1948. Now, I'm not great at math, <laughs> but this means that, I mean, how the Air Force is about five months old. We're born, we're born 18 September. 1947. I hope I have that right. If not, we can definitely Google channel. It's 18, so I should know this. It was definitely 18, fresh. I'm trying. 18 September, 1947. And here he is. Um, so this is equivalent, like, I think Space Force, what, Space Force was born about five months ago, right? Maybe, yeah, right? I think so. Yeah, it hasn't been, it hasn't been, it hasn't been over a year. Right, so that's like someone joining Space Force right now. <clears throat> yeah. Straight basic training, but Space Force, I don't think they have a basic training yet, but that's what it is. Um, so he said in Benton, so he's from Benton, Illinois, 1948. And he was born 1928, so yeah, he was 19, 19 years old when he joined. Um. And then he went to, so apparently there was, he pulled KP at, at uh, Camp Grant in Northern Illinois. Apparently you had to pull KP there before you actually went to basic training. So they took a train. He said they arrived two days later at Lafton Air Force Base. And once he graduated basic training, Lafton Air Force Base, which he mentions it was 13 weeks. So 13 weeks basic training. When I went through it was six and a half weeks. Well, how long was it for you? Ours was eight and a half. Eight and a half? All right, so he got us both beat. 13 weeks military, uh, basic military training. And then he went to Lowry Air Force Base, which, again, I, I don't think that base exists. <clears throat> went to Lowry Air Force Base for stenographer school. You know what that is, Herman Gilbert? Stenographer school? Stena what's stenographer? Or idea. Well, not school, but stenographer is a person whose job is to transcribe speech in shorthand. A court stenographer. So he went to stenographer school. And it doesn't really say how long, but he said he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't know why. So he graduated basic training, was sent to Lowry Air Force Base, 
two stenographer school and I mean I guess you say hey you uh Airman Sudansky you're gonna go to stenographer school at Lowry Air Force Base and he said that he had put in for administrative school or radio technician but he ended up with Lowry Air Force Base and then he received his first permanent duty assignment which was uh headquarters 15th Air Force at Colorado Springs and this was Ent Air Force Base, which again, I don't, I don't, I've never heard of Ent Air Force Base, <clears throat> but he said it was in downtown Colorado Springs and he went to the IG office. So, and he said that he never utilized his stenographer uh, training that he had gotten or MOS or the, the tech school. So they just said, all right, you're here, you're going to the IG. And he promoted from there to corporal. And he was right next to the commanding general's office. Yeah, so he was at the IG, and this is a very interesting, so this is an interesting part, right, because this is how he became a paralegal, which back in the day was very different than how we do things to, uh, today, and I mean, <laughs> to us now, this seems pretty wild, and, or to me, it seems pretty wild, but he's just working there at the IG office, and apparently the first sergeant comes in, and uh, the SJA there at headquarters 15th Air Force was Colonel Smith. Um, I think he's had, he has his, uh, his full name here somewhere. <clears throat> but the SJA was there with, was Colonel Smith. And apparently they referred to SJAs at the time as judge as judges. So they called him Judge Smith. So the first sergeant comes in and says, hey, I told Judge Smith that I get him a good man. And I've decided that you're the man. And Chief Sugansky essentially says, I don't want to go. So he didn't, he didn't want to go to the legal office. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to stay and I just want to be IG. But furthermore, they said, uh, yes, you're going and I'm going to tell you this. We've already talked it over, Judge Smith and I, and we're going to take you off the promotion list. So you won't be eligible for promotion to Buck Sergeant. So we got two things here with this transfer from him in the IG office going into the paralegal field. One, that he doesn't want to go, right? And he's pretty adamant. He tells the first sergeant, I do not want to be a paralegal specifically. And not only that, he was on the promotion list from corporal to make it at least a buck sergeant. And that's taken away. So he got off. He got a job he didn't want. And he got off the promotion list to buck sergeant. So he's going to continue to be a senior airman. Uh, and then, you know, he said, no, I don't want to go. The first sergeant said, well, there's no getting out of it. You're going. And he said that he went over kicking and screaming. <laughs> and then it didn't help one bit. <clears throat> but he did say that Colonel Smith took him under his wing. Um, and he told him, I'm going to teach you the business. So I'm going to teach you how to be a paralegal. And then he said, not until I've decided that you know the business like it should be known, will I have you put back on the promotion list. And he thought it'd be two or three months, but it actually, um, it was a lot longer than that. And he said that he is, so this, is, this was his tech school, right? This was essentially, his training was everyday training with Colonel Smith. So he said that Colonel Smith assigned him lessons every day, the UCMJ and the MCM, and he says that he believes it was the MCM, the 1949 version of the MCM. And it was a blue book. He remembers that it was a blue book. 
Um, and then, okay, so here we go. The full name for the Colonel, for Colonel Smith is uh, Colonel Bernard Smith. And then he said that Colonel Smith essentially took a personal liking to him. And he was the lowest ranking member in the office and he had to clean floors in the office every day and that he also had to water the grass and mow the grass around the building. And this is another, another part that really caught my interest. Um, just the kind of leader that Colonel Smith was. And I guess he was outside, he was mowing the lawn and Colonel Smith approaches him and asks him, what are you doing? And he says, well, you know, I have to mow the lawn. And then Colonel Smith said, no, 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 no. Have you done your assignment? You know, because I gave you an assignment from the MCM or whatever. Have you done that? And he said, well, no, sir, I haven't gotten into it yet. And he said, well, you get in there and get that done. So stop what you're doing, get in there and get that done. And he said, well, who's going to do this? You know, who's going to mow the lawn? And he said, don't worry about it. And then he said he looked out the window later on and there he was, there was Colonel Smith. He was out there mowing the lawn. He had rolled up his sleeves, took off his tie, mowing the lawn for, uh, for Erwin Sugansky. And then he said, yeah, that's just the type of individual that he was. So that's a very great lesson there as well. It's just when you have a mentor, when you have someone who's teaching you the ropes and someone, I mean, he's the SJA and he didn't ask someone else to go take care of that for him. He just did it himself. So that, you know, essentially, Airman's, well, I say Airman, but this private still, right? We still have army ranks. So Private Sugansky could go and, uh, and get his studies done. So when he went, and when he got through the assignment and I guess he completed his training, Colonel Smith gets on the phone with the first sergeant and he says, all right, let's get him promoted on the next promotion list. And then he said three months later, well, so the next month he got promoted. So he got promoted the next month after that. And then three months later, he called up the first sergeant and he said, hey, I want him, I want him promoted to staff sergeant. So he got promoted. So he went bug sergeant the month after, staff sergeant, Three months after that, and then he says six months later, he called him up and said, I want him promoted to tech sergeant. <laughs> so in a matter of one to about eight months, he went from senior airman to tech sergeant. Wow. <laughs> That's right. Things have changed. <laughs> Things have changed. It doesn't happen <laughs> like that. And see, like that's what I'm saying. It was kind of wild back in the day. And he said, yeah, he just came up, bing, bing, bing. Um, and then he just was frozen for tech sergeant for about seven and a half years because we just weren't promoting anymore. And then he talks about his duties, right? So his duties are there at, the, at that office. At, uh, what was this again? Was it 15th? Yeah, 15th. So he was reviewing cases for admin administrative correctness. And they were the GCM. So they were the GCM at the time um, for all the 15th Air Force bases. And they reviewed some records, special courts and general courts. <clears throat> and essentially making sure that all the admin details were correct. Any thoughts on this so far, Armin Gilbert? Well, first off, uh, the fast promotion is pretty uh, interesting to me. That right. he went from senior airman to tech sergeant in eight months. 
that's Air Force, you know, <laughs> it changed a lot. But uh, just hearing the stories, pretty interesting. Colonel Smith, I think that says a lot about him being able to uh, get out there and the grass, you know, like that says a lot about him. Like, you know, that no work is beneath him. Um, so it's, you know, it's very inspiring as just as a leader. Because uh, I feel like as a leader, you know, it's important to show that, you know, you're willing to do what everybody else is, what you ask of everybody else for, you know, what anybody's willing to do, you know, it doesn't matter what position you're at. You know, I think it's important to humble yourself. So, um, yeah, that's very inspiring. Um, and just, just hearing about uh, Mr. Swinowski, his, his story, his rise to the top, just kind of getting the, the start of it right now. So that's pretty that's much right. all I have to say. Yeah, no, for sure. <clears throat> yeah, that's something that I definitely picked up right away um, on Colonel Smith and how he, you know, how he definitely showed true leadership and making sure that he was investing um, in Private Swigonski at the time. Um, and then, I mean, at that point, if you, have, if you see the Colonel that's doing that for you, then you, you know that you have to put in the work. And that you can't disappoint them at that point because they're really super invested in you. So if you're do if they're doing that, I can't fail this. And so I better learn all the things that he's trying to teach me. All right. So after this, he gets an assignment. So he goes to Manston, um, Manston Air Force Base, which I believe this was you safety. So in England. Um, and then, you know, before he got there, the it seems like um, Colonel Smith wrote some letters to TJAG and to the uh, SJA at USAFE <clears throat> and asked them to see that he was assigned to the legal office at Manston. And then um, it's funny because he says that when he went over, he got there to England, right? He, he got to Manston, he got off the bus, and there was Major Long, so this is Major Long, and met him there when he got off the bus, and he said, are you Tech Sergeant Swigonski? And he said, yes, sir. And he says, you're my new first sergeant. Um, so he was, he's supposed to go to the legal office, but it's like, hey, welcome over here. You're my new first sergeant right now. And he's like, um, so he said, he went in, he started in-processing at the base, and they had prepared some orders assigning him to the squadron as the first sergeant. So when the major, who was the personal director, he said, wait a minute, I've got a letter from USAFE headquarters directing us to assign him to the legal office. Nobody can touch him. So they had already, I think TJAG at the time had already, or either TJAG or Colonel Smith had written to TJAG. So it was supposed to, um, uh, to go to the legal office. But at the time, our AFSC was still the same AFSC as the admin career field. So there wasn't any distinction. It was the same. Um, and this is, again, he says that he PCS in 1950? Oh, no, 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 1955. So again, okay, 1955. And this is in the CDC. I know I've read it. So in 1955, that's when he got to, to England. And then that's also when the 
career field, so we, we got a different AFSC. And it was just a, it's a, it's a minor change. It went from 70270, so 70 to 70, and they just changed the last digit. So it went to 70273, so 70 to 73, which, again, a little bit different um, than what we know uh, or how we know it today with the 5J. But that's what it was. It's the minor change that they made. Um, and then, he, you know, what was the, the title of the career field was legal technician. You know, it wasn't paralegal, so it was legal technician at the time. And again, no tech school yet. So all was stenographer school. And tutoring with Colonel Smith, obviously, which made him a monster, I, I believe. Absolutely. Um, and then he talks about his first time at a base legal office and that he loved the type of work at the base legal office. But he, this is an interesting one as well. It's just this case. Of, so they're working a case, a case. It's a guy who apparently got $500 out of a bank um, or he stole, he stole $500 from a person in the barracks because uh, the dude had gotten $500 out of the bank and he was going home on leave and the guy stole it. So they had a court martial that charges, had charges against him. They were going to have an Article 32 investigation uh, before the general court martial, obviously. And then the day that it was about to take place, at nine in the morning, the guy broke into a warehouse. And at that time, nobody in England carried weapons, not even the English police or, or anybody. They just weren't allowed. And then he says that the security police were not allowed to have weapons except when they were guarding planes and that was all. And then he broke into a storage facility and got a carbon and a couple of 45s and several magazines of ammunition. He got into the building behind him. There was a little alley, a alleyway that separated the building and the barracks back there. And then apparently he just started screaming and shooting towards the kind of towards the legal office or behind the, 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 the building in the legal office. And unfortunately he had missed, but somehow he found out that every day at nine o'clock, the provost marshal came into the office and left a copy. So he was after that person. And then apparently he screamed out and said, now you guys stay there and you won't get hurt. As soon as the provost marshal comes out of that building over there, the legal office, I'm going to shoot him. And then I'm going to go through there and wipe out everybody in the legal office. Can you imagine this? So first time in the legal office, you're trying to do a court martial for the guy that's stealing 500 bucks. Crazy. You know? Crazy. And he comes out firing. Uh, but apparently the provost marshal... Uh, had a staff meeting so that didn't work out in his favor and then apparently they asked them nicely that you know said if you give me the guns this will all be forgotten so i guess he gave up um but then he handed out the carbon with one hand but then pulled out the 45 with the other and shot the guy that was coming to him in the stomach and then after that um everyone came out of the barracks and the windows and he just started running and he just shot at everything that moved. And he ended up killing four people, uh, one that 11 people as he was approaching the building. Uh, and even a Royal Air Force Corporal who rode by on a bicycle also was killed. And then apparently he ended up killing himself at the end. But imagine that, you know, first, I'm not sure if this is the first experience or one of the first courts, but this is one of the memorable ones apparently made the newspapers and everything like that. So I've never experienced anything like this. And this is why kind of they recommend also now, because when I was at Lackland and Academia initially, we really didn't have a mandatory requirement um, for, you know, security forces 
to guard the courtroom. Now I believe that we do have, you know, a, a requirement that they be in the building. It's definitely needed. I definitely think it's needed. Right, no, it's absolutely needed. <clears throat> so then after that, um, he, it seems like, I can't remember, man, in 1958, they went to Tennessee. So Seward Air Force Base in Tennessee. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, I, I'm not familiar with this base. I don't think it's a base that we currently have. So far, we've gone through three or four bases that I just never heard before. Um, and then he talks about his experience there that we're actually preparing cases. He was, he was at the legal office preparing cases, drafting court martial documents, preparing court martial orders and everything like that. He called it down in the trenches. Um, so he was a Seward Air Force Base. And again, he mentions that he, he, once again, he never went to paralegal school. That's the crazy part right there that he never went to paralegal school in the midst of all this <laughs> that, he, that he went through. Right. Well, and that's the thing, like he was getting out. He said he was going to go out and go to school. Let's see. Yeah. So he said, it was my intention to get out of the Air Force and go to school as a, as a matter of fact. And he said, I had already had an acceptance at University of Southern California. And so I was going to get out right then, right then and go to USC in Los Angeles. But then the Korean War came along and Harry Truman involuntarily extended everybody for two years or for the duration of the war in six months, whichever was greater. And he was absolutely disgusted is what he says. And he felt that his life had been ruined and uh, he was in for another two years and he was about 23, 24 years old and he would be over the hill is what he thought. Uh, then he, th he said, whatever, I'll just re-enlist and if they're going to keep me, they're going to pay me. Uh, but he said, that's why he never got out of the service was because of that extension of two years because of the Korean War. But he had every intention to get out. So that is interesting as well that he was about to go. And there's another interesting story about him trying to retire. And I think we're going we're gonna to cover this as well. Um, and then he moved again and he went from, uh, or actually, yeah, this is when he went to Seward Air Force Base. And then uh, he went back to Germany. So he went back to Yusefi and he made chief in 1964. So I think he, we were jumping already to him being a chief master sergeant. So he was a chief in 1964 and he went to Germany. He said that it was a huge base over there. Um, well, it took him 16 years to make chief. Huh? Seems like, yeah. Is that the good, is that good math? Yeah. 64. He joined in. Well, he joined in. Yep. 48. So about 16 years. Yeah. That's pretty quick. Well, he said in 1963, actually, is when he, and when he made, so what's this, 15? 15, 15 years. Sure. And okay, so he went to USAFE, and then there was a separate MOS again. So they changed it to a 705. So, okay. So they pulled it from the admin AFSC kind of shred, which was 70, 702. And now they made it 705. Mm 
Then he went to Davis Mothin after that. Okay. So here we get to the part where he becomes a, the senior paralegal manager, which was in 1970. So he was in Davis Mothin. And finally, we get to a base that I recognize that's still around. Um, and he had 21 years in and he decided that he was going to retire and he was going to put in his recent retirement papers in 1970 and then he had several people ask him to withdraw his retirement papers and be considered for senior for the senior uh paralegal manager position and you know he says general vague uh so i guess it's a general that he knew was one of the ones that was adamant about him not retiring and filling in that position which was a new position that they had created right uh, they hadn't had that position before they just created it they didn't know what it was going to be about and um, he's telling him, you got to fill out for this. And he said that they hit it off really well. And essentially his reasoning was um, that Chief Swigonski used to send him a lot of letters complaining about the legal career field, stating that they weren't doing anything to help the legal career field, that, you know, we needed to train our people better, that we had too many tasks to do and not enough time to do them. So just general complaining to General Vague, apparently all the time. Um, so apparently he reminded him of that when he said that he didn't want to be considered for that job in Washington. And then he was like, you have sent me letters over the years complaining about everything and what should be done and what shouldn't be done. And now's your chance to go and get this done and you're backing out and you're going to retire. Like mm. that's what you're going to do after all this complaining, you're just going to go away. And then Chief Sugansky said, well, I guess I'd consider, but it's too late for me to withdraw my retirement papers. And because he said, because when I guess back in the day, when you got within 90 days of your retirement, they would not let you withdraw your retirement papers. And he was like, well, we can take care of that. And he was done. So they pulled his retirement papers and then he went to TDY to uh, Washington to be interviewed for the job. And then... The interview, who else did the interview? They interviewed a couple more people. And when he was picked up, this was General, so General Cheney was the, was TJAG at the time, and then General Gold was deputy, so was DJAG. And I guess they started to talk, and he was like, hey, quite frankly, this is General Cheney telling him, right? It's like, Steve, quite frankly, I just don't know what, that job is going to entail. And talking about the city uh, paralegal manager job. I don't know what you're going to do or how you're going to do it. But this, you know, but this was right in the middle of, and this is um, Chief Zuganski saying that it was in the middle of Vietnam War. And he said, I can tell you this, that our reenlistments for our first term airmen is 0.0. We've got to do something about this. We've also been getting complaints from the commanders in the field and judge advocates about the lack of training of our legal airmen. I don't know how or what we're going to do. I'm just leaving this up to you. You decide what the job is and how it's going to be done. So they talked about it. Um, and one of the biggest problems was sending the people to the Navy school because apparently they told them, they taught us all the Navy ways, Navy regulations and all that stuff. And it definitely didn't mean anything to our Air Force people. Um, and there was quite a distinction between the officer rank and the enlisted. And they just gave the enlisted menial tasks to do. 
And then Chief Zugansky said, well, we need to establish our own school. And General Cheney said, we've tried this several times. You know, it, it doesn't seem to be working. And they had tried, but they not, never got it approved. So apparently, <clears throat> the, the paralegal training was also happening at Naval Justice School in Rhode Island, and which is, you know, we, which is still where they, where they have their training for the Navy. Uh, and General Cheney was essentially saying that, I think you're going to be spinning your wheels because we tried to get, to get the school, but we can't get it done. So he went to Rhode Island. And he went over there, I guess it was December 1970, January 1971. He said it was cold up there and he went over there. Um, and one of the young airmen was like, Chief, can you come over and see the, <clears throat> the barracks and see what, what, we're what conditions that we're living in? And then he said it was just, you know, terrible barracks type of building. One of the windows was out and they would not replace it. And the wind was blowing in and those kids had to walk around with a blanket around them to try to stay warm. They just couldn't stay warm. So the next day he complained to the commander of the Jack school and, you know, he had charge of the barracks and all that stuff. He was assigned to him because he was in Navy Jack school. And apparently his comment was, well, compared to the ship, this is just like heaven. So I don't know what they're complaining about. If we were on a ship, this would be worse. Um, and then Chief Swigonski kind of battled him on it. This is an 06. So Chief Swigonski is like, well, we treat our people like they're human beings. And apparently the captain got mad. And he said, you're being very disrespectful, Sergeant. Mm. <laughs> he said, well, I guess I am, Captain. And then he said, I'm just a little upset about this. It seems to me that they could put something in that window, even a piece of plywood. And apparently he was like, all right, so I'll see that a piece of plywood is put in that window. So I guess that, that was his resolution to the problem. Um, and then they're like, well, they're getting whatever training they need. After all, they're just clerks out there when they go out. They can pick up that stuff. There's no problem. And then Chief Sugansky was like, Captain, we do more than just use them as clerks. We use them as paralegals. He was like, what do you mean? For instance, claims. We've got staff sergeants, bug sergeants that actually process the entire claim. And then after they're done, they just simply present it to the claims officer for his signature. He said, oh, don't give me that stuff. We have Jacks doing that. You don't have your enlisted, your enlisted people doing that. And he was like, yeah, we sure do have our enlisted people doing that. And then he got kicked out. They kicked him out. And he said, all right, we don't need you. We don't need you here anymore. And that's when um, he decided that he's going to start his own school. But the only place that would give us um, a spot, it would have to be, it would have to be at Keesler Air Force Base. So was it, I mean, it wasn't, we were given like secondhand stuff and there, and there was a room that finally we were able to, uh, to get in there, but it wasn't really the vision that we have today and where we've come so you know, how we've come so far from them, but it definitely started with us taking a stand or with essentially Chief Swigonski taking a stand and saying, we need, number one, we need our paralegal to have their own school because we need to learn them or teach them things that they're actually going to be doing in the operational Air Force. And, you know, I mean, it, that's what started the whole focus 
on how we were going to be utilized, what the type of training that we're going to use. And it's evolved to what we have right now, which is, you know, I think it's, it, it's you know, tremendous training and everything at the Jazz. We'd, eventually we'd get there, but this was definitely the stepping stone in getting that accomplished. What thoughts do you have on all this so far, Ivan Gilbert? He's had a, he's had a heck, of, uh, heck of story. Um, just hearing him fight, uh, for the paralegals, you know, now that I'm in the job, you know, I heard about him in tech school, but now that I'm actually in the job and, and had about two months in the job, I, it's more, uh, it's more touching, I would say, uh, because, you know, we are busy. We, we get busy as paralegals, we get very busy. Was, you know, I've been learning, we got, we got you know, deadlines to meet and, uh, you know, I think it's important because, you know, our job is important too. And uh, just hearing about him being kind of one of the first advocates for us uh, kind of gives me more, you know, a deeper pride in what we do in, in, in our job. And I'm glad that we have somebody to kind of, you know, speak for us now, that, you know, that, that position up in D.C., so, you know, heck of a story. You know, even though he didn't plan on being a paralegal, he didn't come to the airports wanting to be a paralegal. But he ended up, you know, loving the job and, and fighting for it and, you know, fighting for us. It's just uh, super interesting to me. Absolutely. No, it's, um, <clears throat> yeah, hearing about it, learning about it. Um, definitely makes us appreciate it a little bit more than kind of where we come from, where we came from, and who represented us, who represented us in the back in the day. Um, and he goes, you know, he goes a little bit more to say that that's how we started the three level school. So the three level school was at Keesler Air Force Base, and that they actually were able to get professional pay for the airmen, for the paralegals as well, in the lower grade uh, airmen that reenlisted. So the reenlistment rate went from zero point zero. Uh, up to almost 80%. So again, this is by the time that he was the senior paralegal manager from 0.02 to 80%. That's, that's impeccable. <laughs> that's right. That's quite impeccable. a jump. And he just said that he was determined that this was going to be the very best career field in the Air Force. In the Air Force. So that was, that's what he set out to do. And then he also mentioned that he started uh, to get a two-line name tag because we couldn't get we couldn't get a batch for whatever reason we had this on a batch and 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 it seems like personnel or AFPC someone fought us on it so we weren't able to get our own batch but he found a workaround um, where we would have a two line batch that uh, it said let's see he said he wanted a, some way to identify the legal career field so that so he went around to see if they could get a batch which we weren't able to do but. Uh, but then it says something about legal technician or something to belong that we belong to the legal world. Um, and he says it, it identified our people initially and everybody worked for a few years and it improved morale considerably to be recognized as being one or being on the legal team. And, but he says that the badges did come about two years uh, well, he said two years ago, about 1992. So 1992, apparently, is when we actually got our distinct badge that we wear today. 
that's 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 a long time from you know from from the start of us being labeled as legal technicians all the way to 1992 you know Right, yeah, from 1955 to 1992 is when we're finally able to wear it on Long our badge time. officially, right? We had to kind of fight for us to be recognized. That's right, in many different fronts, right? So yeah. have our own curriculum, have our own school, be able to have, you know, something that differentiated us in our uniform to saying that we were paralegals as well. Oh. And then I guess they, for assignments as well, IFPC was taking care of all the assignments that at Randolph Air Force Base, the personnel center. And they were able to give Chief Sugansky like an, well, they call it like an assistant. And he sent that individual to IFPC, to Randolph Air Force Base to kind of manage assignments, which I mean now has kind of turned into the career field manager. Uh, and we have two individuals there now that kind of help with career field manager type duties and responsibilities as far and also assignments yeah, so that's the assignments part and i think that's mainly that's the main thing that i wanted to cover um but there's one final thing and this is about the award and i'll just read it real quick um because he said about two days after he retired, oh, not two, two years after he retired, uh, someone, so General Vey called him, again, the same general that was fighting for him to take over that position, the senior paralegal manager position. And he said, Steve, you know the Legal Airman Award that you established? And he said, yes. And he said, well, we want to name this award after you, and we've got to get your permission before we can do it. And he said, he starts laughing, and he says, well... And General Vega is like, well, what the hell is so funny? And he said, well, first of all, General, I thought a person had to be dead before you could do this type of thing. And do you people know something I don't know? And then he laughed about that. And he said, yeah, yes, well, that's the other thing that's, well, what's the other thing that's so funny? And he said, well, I just, well, I can just see about 20 to 25 years down the road, <laughs> some kid seeing a Swigonski award and saying to himself, what the hell kind of Apollo award is this? I don't know whether I want it or not. <laughs> oh, and, he's, uh, and he's like, yes. So that's how, so at the end he said, okay, yeah. He gave permission to use his name for the award. Um, but hopefully it doesn't become that, right? Hopefully uh, the name and the award Chief Swigonski, it's more than just the name on an award. And you know, more of the recognition of all the things that we, that we had to go through from 1948 and 1955 as legal, being recognized as legal technicians, having the proper training to employ those duties as legal technicians and now as, as professional paralegals, uh, to have our own distinct insignia in our uniforms, um, all of these important things that he laid the groundwork for um, and it's definitely something that when I think, you know, when I think about the Airman's Creed, again, and I recited it, when I was an ALS instructor or a PME instructor, I recited the Airman's Creed, and, and you did too at basic training, right? But I recited the Airman's Creed every day, and, you know, at times we, we think about Medal of Honor recipients, you know, when we say a tradition of honor, a legacy of valor, 
think about, you know, John L. Levito. We think about Staff Sergeant Henry Irwin. We think about Tech Sergeant John Chapman. We think about those individuals because, you know, they, they, they kind of did this heroic, these heroic things. But I think when I recite the Airman's Creed, I think when, when we're talking about tradition of honor and legacy of valor, I think about Chief Sudansky. I actually think about him because it, 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 it's a little bit, it identifies with who we are as paralegals. Um, and there was a lot of courage and a legacy of valor and going up to the Navy, to the Naval Justice School and saying, no, our people deserve, deserve better. They deserve better training. We're going to utilize them like professionals, like this, you know, we're going to treat them with dignity and respect and we're going to make sure that we do it right. Um, so that's what we have to remember him by. And I mean, he it will remember, you know, or think about as far as Chief Swigonski with the award and everything like that. What Any, any other thoughts, Herman Gilbert? Uh, just picking off what you said, I, I think it's... Uh... Um, you know, I, I came in the Air Force a little later. I came in at 24 years old, but I think uh, it was uh, Swinovsky, I can't really pronounce his name, but he came in at the 19, 18, right? 19, so yeah. I don't think he, he didn't really come in. It, it doesn't seem like he really came in with the plan. He had no idea that he would do what he did, that he would have an award named after him, that he would, um, that he would have an influence on us actually having a, a name for a job. And uh, it's just, I think it's just, just a reminder, you, you know, you, you never know what could happen to you, um, particularly in the Air Force. We're just, just, you know, as long as you just work hard and, 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 and keep your head down, uh, but you know, fight for what you need. Feel like you need to fight for. His stories, you know, very inspiring. And he said it, it gives me a lot of pride about what I do. Because um, he fought for it. He fought for it. We should all take pride. You know, if you if you heard about his story, you, you should take pride in what you do if you're a paralegal in the Air Force. And you know, just it makes me want to do as much as I can as a paralegal in the Air Force and um, well, it's I'm very inspiring yeah no for sure well I'm glad that you uh, you joined me in this podcast covering a little bit of paralegal history um, some more familiarization with where we come from um, but this is good I think we can sign you off so. <laughs> we'll sign <laughs> you off on uh, paralegal history but this uh, uh, yeah this is it's pretty good